0: Our Bible reading this morning is John chapter 1, verses 1 to 25. John 21, 1 to 25. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realise that it was Jesus. He called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted but when you are old you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw that the disciple whom Jesus loved was following them. This was the one who had leaned back against Jesus at the supper and had said, Lord, who is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he asked, Lord, what about him? Jesus answered, If I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? You must follow me. Because of this, the rumour spread among the believers that this disciple would not die. But Jesus did not say that He, he would not die. He only said, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? This is the disciple who testifies to these things and who wrote them down. We know that his testimony is true. Jesus did many other things as well. If every one of them were written down, I suppose that even the whole world would not have room for the books that would be written. And this is the word of God.
1: Thank you, Wendy, for the reading of that long chapter. And also thank uh, Stephen and the musicians for leading us in worship. I'd also like to thank Sylvia for giving me the opportunity of concluding our study on the book of John. And there are several ways you can conclude a book study. And I thought the best way to conclude it would be to listen to all the sermons of my predecessors on the book of John here in the last couple of weeks, and then draw up a list of questions for each one of you to answer this morning, and then I will bring it to a conclusion. But then a couple of weeks ago, uh, my wife Belinda and I were invited to a lunch. And this was with a group of uh, church people, not from our church. But uh, this group meets regularly, and they have about 150-odd people meeting every week. And the curious thing about this particular church is that 70% of their members were young people. That's not the curious part. But the curious part of it was that these young people always wanted to listen to a three-point sermon. And so I was wondering, how come these young people, most of them were very intelligent young professionals, you know, doctors, accountants, teachers, and what have you. But the only setback with them that they only appreciated a three-point sermon. So during this luncheon, I was sitting next to the pastor's wife. And I asked her, how is it that your young people only want to listen to a three-point sermon? What's wrong with sermons with five points, 10 points, or 15 points? And she turned around and said, it's not only the young people. Even older ones like me, referring to herself. She says, some mornings I wake up, And I don't even know what day of the week it is. And for older people, a three-point sermon sticks in our mind. And apparently what they do, this church, when the preacher speaks on a three-point sermon, they don't just leave the church and forget the sermon. But in the course of the week, they go through the sermon and they try to recollect what the three points of the sermon was the previous Sunday. And then they tried to apply it to their lives. So I thought that was a good idea. Why don't I try a three-point sermon at Carlingford Baptist Church? But I didn't know how many older people were here because during the COVID, you don't see people in church. We just listen on the net. And so I went through my CBC directory, pulled it out, and uh, started ticking all those with gray hair like me. Unfortunately, there were not too many. And I said, that can't be true. So I went back again, and I decided to add those with colored hair. (laughs) And guess what? We were in the majority. And so today, we are going to have a three-point sermon. As you see, the passage that uh, Wendy read to us. The first 14 verses speaks of the great reality of Jesus' resurrection body. And 15 to 17, the great question of a disciple's love and devotion. And verses 18 to 25, the great call to total commitment. And let's take the first point, the great reality of Jesus' resurrection body. The resurrection of Jesus Christ wasn't the delusion of broken-hearted disciples. The fact is that a large number of people saw Jesus alive at different times, at different places, and in different circumstances over a 40-day period. Jesus proved the great reality of his resurrection body. And this morning, we take another look at one of our Lord's appearance after he rose from the dead. He showed that he really did arise from the dead. Death has been conquered, and man could live forevermore. Peter went fishing, and the other disciples followed him. And in the sovereignty of God, this small band of men needed to learn a glorious lesson. So God was setting the scene for them to receive this lesson. They had toiled the whole night, and they caught nothing. And it was in this that they were to learn the much-needed lesson. Namely, self-sufficiency is inadequate. Self-sufficiency is inadequate. They could no longer do anything on their own. They must know the risen Lord and they must depend upon the risen Lord. They could not provide for themselves in their own strength. They used this experience of catching nothing to teach the disciples that he had truly risen. He was in the resurrected body. Jesus, we notice, possessed supernatural knowledge. He knew where the fish were. Remember the disciples were all commercial fishermen before their call to serve the Lord. They knew Lake Galilee very, very well because they had been fishing in it for years and they knew the best times. They knew the best spots where they could get a great catch. And yet, With all their experience, with all their knowledge, they caught nothing. Jesus was teaching that he, the risen Lord, was the same Lord who took care of them before the crucifixion. Therefore, he would take care of them now. But there was one significant difference that they must learn. The resurrection increased his care and added much more to their salvation. He, the risen Lord, was the sovereign majesty of the universe and he could use his sovereign knowledge to provide all things for his dear children. Jesus showed that his body was real. He invited them to eat and he ate with them, just as he always had. Again the point is that they must know it was Jesus. The risen Lord was the same Jesus who, has, who had walked and lived with them. The only difference was that he had risen from the dead in a perfected and glorified body. They knew just what Jesus wanted them to know. They knew his great, the great reality of his resurrection body and the great reality of his sovereign majesty and care for them in conquering death. And Now we go on to the second part, verses 15 to 17. And here we notice the great question of a disciple's love and devotion. And this is a very important passage for the church and its ministers. And when I say ministers, it does not mean the pastor, or the elders, or the evangelists, or the preachers, including them, it includes each and every one of us, because we are all ministers in the sight of God, and that's what we are called to do. It has one great lesson. Love is the one basic essential for ministry. Without love, Ministry counts for nothing in God's eyes. And this passage concerns three questions asked by the Lord. Verse 15, do you love me more than these? Verse 16, do you love me with God's love? Verse 17, do you love me as a loyal brother? There is a difference between the three questions Jesus asked of Peter. First one, Peter asked Peter who he loved the most, the Lord Jesus or these. It's not clear what is meant by these. It could be the disciples who are sitting there. If so, Jesus meant, do you love me more than these men? Or even your own family? Or Jesus could have been pointing to the fish and the nets and the boat. If so, he was asking, do you love me more than your profession, more than your possession, more than your career? Perhaps it is left unclear so that these, the word these, can apply to anything and everything in our lives. Question two, asked Peter if he loved God, if he loved with God's love. Jesus used one word for love, whereas Peter used another word. Jesus used the word agape, the highest form of love, the love of God himself. But Peter did not reply, yes, Lord, I agape you. He said, yes, Lord, I filio you. That is, I love you like a brother. Brotherly love, that is filio. And question three probed the genuineness and loyalty of Peter's love. And here we see Jesus descended to the human level of love. He asked Peter, and he used filio in this situation, Peter, do you really love me? filio me, even as a brother. And questioning the loyalty of his love grieved Peter. But Jesus assured Peter, that his love one day would reach the ultimate heights. If you look at verse 18, Peter would be called upon to demonstrate agape love, the sacrificial love, the sacrificial love of God. Peter would be called to die for Christ to give up his life, preaching the love of God to those who do not care for it and act violently against it. And Jesus was preparing the disciples for a new kind of love. Up to this point in time, until Christ's death and ascension, the greatest love known to men was filial love the willingness of a man to die for a friend. But in Christ, God was showing the world a new kind of love, agape love. Peter and the disciples did not understand this. They could not, because the Holy Spirit had not been given. And we all know the agape love is shed abroad in the heart only by the Holy Spirit. If you look at Romans 5 and verse 5, it is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. If you look at Galatians 5 and verse 22. If Peter really loved the Lord, then he was commissioned to be a shepherd of the flock of God. What is this new kind of love? called agape love. Firstly, it is not only a love of emotions, it is a matter of the mind as well as of the heart, of the will, as well as of the emotions. John chapter 3, verse 16, that all of us know by heart, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. John 1, John 4, 9 to 10. This is how God showed his love amongst us. He sent one his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved him, but he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Secondly, agape love is God's love. His very nature, it is a love that God extended towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We read that in Romans 5, 8, 10. But God demonstrates his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. For if when we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Thirdly, agape love is a seed that can be planted in the heart only by Christ. It is a fruit of the Spirit of God. Romans 5 and verse 5. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Fourthly, we notice agape love is a great love that God holds for his own dear son. John 15, verse 10. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my father's commands and remain in his love. Fifthly, we notice agape love was perfectly expressed when God gave up his own son to die for men, Ephesians 5.2 and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Sixthly, agape love is a love which holds believers together. John 13, my children, I'll be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And just as I told the Jews, so I tell you now, Where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give to you. Love one another as I have loved you. You must love one another. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples if you have loved one for another. Moving on, seventhly, agape love is a love which believers are to have for all men. 1 Thessalonians 3.12, may the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. And finally, agape love is proven by obedience to Christ. Doing as one wishes instead of doing as God, God wills, shows that one does not have agape love. John 14, the verse is then, If you love me, you will obey what I command. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Jesus replied, if anyone loves me, he will obey my teaching. My father will love him, and he will come to him and make our home with him. Before we look at the concluding verses of John's Gospel, on the great call to total commitment. Here's a story that some of you may know, story of the bacon and the eggs. Sorry if this slide arouses your hunger pangs, but that was not what it was meant for. Well, here's the story. A pig and a chicken were walking down the road. As they passed the church, they noticed that a potluck charity breakfast was underway. And so caught up in the spirit, the pig suggested to the chicken that they both make a contribution. Great idea, the chicken cried. Let's offer them bacon and eggs. Not so fast, grumbled the pig. For you, that's just an involvement or a contribution, but for me, it's total commitment. You see, the pig had to be slaughtered before you can get ham or bacon, but not so for the chicken. It can go around merrily laying an egg and contributing part of it for the potluck breakfast. So with that in mind, let's look at this final passage of John's Gospel. Verses 18 to 25, the great call to total commitment. Firstly, total commitment demands following the leadership of another. Verse 18, namely the Holy Spirit. Since Peter was accepting the call of Christ to feed his sheep, Peter would have to live his life as the Spirit willed. Peter would have to do what the Spirit wanted. Peter would have to choose the profession the Spirit will. Peter would have to go where the Spirit wished. Note that Jesus was saying that Peter was to be led where he did not want to go. He was to live a life of suffering. And if you go on to Acts, you would need, you would read of Peter's imprisonment and the suffering he went through. Peter was to die the death of a martyr. His death was to be for the cause of Christ and the glory of God. There is strong evidence that Peter was crucified in Rome. And tradition says he felt so unworthy to die in the same manner as his Lord that he begged to be crucified upside down. Notice three things. The call of Christ is to total commitment, not just to commitment, total commitment. And total commitment demands that we follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. We can no longer dress and walk as we will. We are to dress and walk as the Holy Spirit wills. Secondly, the call of Christ involves persecution. The true believer lives a sacrificial and godly life bearing a strong testimony and a strong witness. Christ was calling Peter to such a life, telling him that the Holy Spirit would carry him to places he would not choose. And Christ tells us the same thing today. Total commitment requires following the leadership of the Holy Spirit. And all who follow the Holy Spirit shall suffer persecution. Thirdly, we shall all die. How we die should concern us. Whether we die in self, having lived in comfort, in ease, in plenty, in pleasure, in wealth, in extravagance, in pride, in unbelief, or whether we die for Christ. Having lived a godly life, bearing testimony, witnessing, helping, giving, ministering, and meeting the desperate needs of a world reeling in sin and death. Secondly, total commitment requires the cross. Death to self. Follow me, verse 19. Jesus bore the cross for man. Now Jesus says that there was another cross, a cross that man was to bear for him. If a man wished to follow Christ, he had to bear this cross. There was no option. Discipleship demanded it. Luke chapter 9, verse 23. Then he said to them all, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself. Take up the cross daily and follow me. The believer is to deny himself by discipline and control and by loving and caring, sacrificing and giving, helping and ministering. The Christian is to die mentally and actively. He is to deny himself daily. He is to let the mind of Christ, the mind of humbling himself to the point of death, Be in him and fill his thoughts daily, every day. He is to put his will, his desires, his wants, his ambitions to death. In their stead, he is to follow Jesus and do his will. There are several ways the believer dies to self. And if you look at Romans 6, to 13, it spells out clearly how you could do that. We are not going to look at that today, because that is a sermon by itself. But in your spare time, you may want to look at it. Moving on, the third point, total commitment div- demands undivided attention to one's task, verses 20 to 23. Peter asked Jesus what John would be doing in his ministry. Note two things. Jesus rebuked Peter. He told Peter that John's task was not his concern. In today's language, it will be, mind your own business. His own task was to be his concern. Peter was not to look at another man's call and ministry and be distracted or wish he had that ministry, or desire another ministry, or compare their calls and ministries, or copy or conform to their ministries, or meddle with their ministries. Secondly, Jesus challenged and called Peter again. Verse 22, follow me. In other words, Peter. Concentrate on your own call and task. Peter, focus your attention, your will, your energy, and efforts upon your own call and task. Peter, realize that God knows where you can best serve, and he calls you to that task. And finally, total commitment demands bearing witness to Jesus, verses 24 to 25. Total commitment demands bearing witness to Jesus Christ and fulfilling one's task on earth, just as John bore witness and fulfilled his task. John bore witness, and the Gospel of John, which we have been studying, is his testimony to the world. Look at John 20, verse 31, where he says, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. And just as John bore witness to Jesus Christ and fulfilled his task on earth, brothers and sisters, you and I are called to bear witness to our risen Savior and Lord, and discharge the mandate given to us. The death and resurrection of Jesus changes the fate of world history and the whole attitude of man. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, life and history have become purposeful. And the primary task of every believer is to bear witness to this truth, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to give life to man, both abundant life and eternal life, by his death on the cross and his resurrection. That punishment for sins has been paid. That sin can now be forgiven that man can be reconciled and made one with God, that man can now be declared righteous, that man can be redeemed and made into a new creation before God. The primary task of not only every church and every believer is to proclaim this message. Unfortunately, there are churches today who do not bear witness to this truth. There's an organization called Every Home for Christ, operating in 150 nations, with the objective of reaching every home and country and village and people with the message of the good news. And in one of our board meetings recently, the CEO of Australia said these words, I have been attending this Baptist church for over 40 years, and never once have I heard the gospel preached. How pathetic the state of affairs in this church. What an indictment to that church. They have deviated from the primary task of preaching the gospel. And friends, if you are here and you do not know Jesus as your savior, of you, or if you are listening to us from the comfort of your home, this is the message that we declare to you. That Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has come to give abundant and eternal life to you by his death and his resurrection. That the punishment for sin has been paid. That you can be reconciled and made one with God, that you can now be declared righteous, that you can be redeemed and made into a new creation before God. The message of Easter is that our risen Savior, Jesus Christ, can forgive you of your rebellious nature and sinful rebellion. The message of Easter is that Jesus can dissipate your fear of what happens when you die, and that he can give you life to the fullest right now. All you need to do is to turn to him as Savior and Lord. Romans 10, 9, 10 says, if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes, resulting in righteousness, that is, being made right with God. And with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. What better way to celebrate this Easter season than to accept the new life Jesus offers you today? Trust him as your savior. Surrender your will to him as Lord then you will know the thrill and experience the joy and security of the resurrected Jesus Christ living inside you. And if you want to accept Jesus as your Savior, or if you want to know more about how you could do that, please get in touch with us. Our details are on one of the slides. And we would love to hear from you and send you some materials that will help you to understand and get a clearer picture of how you can have this relationship with Christ today. And for the rest of us, those of us who know Jesus as our Lord and Savior, as a risen Lord, our Savior has entrusted to each one of us a task, And that is found in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Friends, this is the great commission given to each one of us. There is no ambiguity in this great commission. It is clear, it is concise, it is compelling. We have been given a divine eternal mandate. We are a people of God on mission. It's a call to stewardship. It's a call to service. It's a call to suffering. Most of us would have read about Hudson Taylor, the pioneer missionary uh, to China. He started the CIM, China Inland Mission, Missionary Organization, which later became known as Overseas Missionary Fellowship. And this is what he said. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Let me repeat that again. The Great Commission is not an option to be considered. It is a command to be obeyed. Peter and the disciples were never the same again after their fresh encounter with the risen Lord. Peter became a powerhouse for Jesus and the other disciples served with distinction and glorified God in their lives and ultimately in their death. This morning, our prayer is that we too, like Peter and the early disciples, experience a fresh encounter with our risen Lord that we would embrace Christ's resurrection power and catch a passion for his restorative work in this world. Let us pray. Let's spend a few silent moments examining our hearts before God this morning and let us ask ourselves this sober question. Am I totally committed to discharging the mandate entrusted to me by my risen Lord and Savior? Or am I merely involved in contributing my spare change and spare time for His cause? Father God, you have heard the silent utterances of our hearts this morning. We confess that like Peter and the early disciples, we have so often fallen short of your high calling. Please forgive us, dear Father, and help us to catch a fresh glimpse of our risen Lord and Savior, and be obedient to you. Maybe as a church, And as your people, take seriously your command to preach the good news. Give us courage and boldness and help us bear much fruit for you in the days to come. For those who do not know you as their Lord and Savior, please, Lord, continue to work in their lives and give them no peace till they come and find that peace in you.